As you and I go about the business of our daily lives, every now and again, something happens that changes everything. Something drops into our lives that rocks our world. And for me, this Facebook notification was one of those earth-shaking moments. Our first grandson, Jacob, was on his way. Now, God takes 40 weeks to create a human life in the incubator of a mother's body. And as the tendons are woven around the joints and lungs and finally they find strength to breathe air, the parents wait with anticipation to meet their new child. And the preparations begin, choosing a name, stocking up on supplies and reading about what to expect on those first sleepless nights of parenthood, getting the baby's room ready, assembling their first wardrobe and buying or digging out a cradle and a stroller. And then there is the inclusion of grandparents, aunts and uncles, baby showers, and for some, the gender reveal party. And then there are prenatal visits, ultrasounds, birth coaching. It is a grace from God that their journey takes the better part of a year. And just when things had finally settled down into the new normal, grandson number two was on his way, soon to arrive. Now, Jacob arrived the first week of January and Lucas on the third week of December. Their mother was born the second week of December. So when I think of Christmas, I think of new arrivals. The word Advent from the Latin Adventus literally means arrival or visit. Now for many, Advent describes a calendar filled with chocolate counting down the days until December 25th. But in the life of the church, Advent describes a four-week window in the church calendar leading up to Christmas Day. And it was set aside annually to encourage the faithful to prepare their souls for a personal encounter with God who came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ that very first Christmas. This means that Jesus' arrival as a baby king was the very first Advent. It marked the arrival of God himself on planet earth. Now, parents have a few months to get ready for the new baby. God took a few centuries to get the world ready for the birth of his son. And God wanted to make sure that the world did not miss the coming of his son. So he dropped clues throughout human history, breadcrumbs, as it were, to lead us to the manger of Bethlehem. Scholars identify as many as 300 prophecies from the Old Testament that foretell the arrival and ministry of Jesus in surprising detail. What if God had a Facebook page to share the news about the arrival of his son? What would he have posted for the world to see? Well, the truth is we really don't have to speculate about that. 
The Bible tells us that God had lots to say to those who cared enough to pay attention. So today we want to look at God's Advent posts about the arrival of his son. And his first Advent post is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, and it answers the question, who are we expecting? Now, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we read the story of God's original creation. There we learn that he created an ideal world where the first man and woman lived in harmony with him and with his creation and with each other. Adam and Eve enjoyed life the way God meant it to be lived. It was literally a Garden of Eden. But we also learn from Genesis that Satan, in disguise as a serpent, beguiles Adam and Eve to rebel and disobey God and take control of their own lives. But instead of gaining autonomy, they lose intimacy with God, with each other, and with the world around them. It was humanity's worst nightmare come true. And just when things couldn't have been more broken, God makes his first Advent post to announce that he is not prepared to leave things the way they are. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we drop in on a tense conversation where God confronts the co-conspirators, Adam and Eve, and Satan. And God has a word for each of them, but this is what he says to the serpent, the mastermind of the chaos. He says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. How would God repair the damage that human sin had caused? Well, in this first Advent post, God promises not to do something, but to send someone. And this coming one would restore the relationship, the lost relationship between God and humanity. He would defeat the power of evil and make it possible for people to be reconciled by God. But this hint of a coming one who would set all right that human rebellion had set wrong was only God's first clue. There would be other clues. Abraham, the father of Israel, was told by God that through his descendants, the whole world would be blessed. Moses, the author of Israel's first covenant with God, announces that God would raise up another prophet, just like himself from the people of Israel, a second Moses, as it were, who would usher in a new relationship between God and his people. Throughout human history, God promises he will make a way to reach his world. If God had a Facebook page, we would discover that God used the writing prophets of the Bible's Old Testament as his lead writers to post the good news of a promised Messiah who would come and undo the devastation of human rebellion and selfishness. Now, these prophets spoke for God to the people of Israel for a 400-year span from 800 B.C. to 400 B.C., centuries before the very first Christmas day. And the prophets spoke into their historical moment to enable God's people to understand and respond to what God was doing in their day. But at the same time, they spoke into the unfolding future of God's ultimate redemptive purposes for all people everywhere. And what they posted on God's behalf would echo through the centuries, not only until Jesus' arrival in Bethlehem, but to our time and to our place. Their prophecies are not ancient history. They speak to our living reality. And so let's think about Advent post number two. We find it on Isaiah chapter 7, 10 to 14. 
And there the prophet answers the question, whose child is this? Now, it is the prophet Isaiah who God chooses to write the Advent post. We most memorably connect with the Christmas story. Isaiah spoke for God 750 years before Jesus arrived during the turbulent years of the slide of the nation of Israel into spiritual unbelief and eventual captivity by their foreign enemies. The whole book of Isaiah portrays God's plan for Judah has a story that is moving towards the coming of a final heir of David who will bring light to the Gentiles. And here we pick up another conversation, this time between Isaiah and Ahaz, the king of Judah. God's intent is to deliver Israel from the invading king of Aram. And so speaking through Isaiah, the Lord tells Ahaz to ask for a sign that will give him confidence that God will deliver the nation. But Ahaz, unwilling to trust God, refuses. And so speaking to Ahaz through Isaiah, God posts again now. Here now, you house of David, he writes, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and you shall call him Emmanuel. But this prophecy was talking about more than just Israel's deliverance from her enemies at the time. Israel's prophecy reverberates across history to catch the imaginations of Luke and Matthew as they recount the events of Christmas. Fast forward 700 years in time and we'll drop in on yet another conversation. Luke tells us that the angel Gabriel was sent by God to Nazareth to make known to a teenage girl the part she would play in the unfolding of a drama so incredible that it could only have originated from the heart of God himself. God posts, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? I like what one Christian writer has said about the appearance of angels in human experience. He said, when angels draw near, as they do, the earth begins to shake beneath our feet and instead of everything standing still and sure, suddenly nothing is still and everything is unsure. That is the way it is when the supernatural invades the natural, as it does, and why we find the very concept so unsettling. Surely Mary was unsettled by Gabriel's unexpected visit, but it was not only his appearance that troubled her, the implications of his words began to take hold of her thoughts she would bear a son without the benefit of a human father. And if that was not unsettling enough, Gabriel goes on to tell Mary that this child would be great, that he would rule on David's throne forever, that her son would be the long-awaited Messiah. To a poor girl in an occupied land, this news itself would be incredible. But Gabriel doesn't stop there. He tells Mary and he tells us that this baby will be the son of the Most High, that he would be God's offspring in a very unique way. Mary would give birth to the King of Heaven. But it is not only Luke who brings forward God's post through the prophet into the Christmas story. Matthew too quotes this very passage in his Christmas account. But now the recipient is not Mary, but Joseph, who she had promised to marry. 
The notion of God as the father of Mary's child does not go down particularly well with Joseph, at least not at first. But Joseph, too, gets a visit from an angel. Now, if Mary was troubled by the words of her angel, Joseph was troubled before his angel ever appeared. Sometimes life just has a way of throwing curveballs our way. Do you know what I mean? Just when we think we've got a beat on life, it takes an unexpected turn. Joseph's quiet carpenter's life had just been devastated by the bombshell that the girl he loved, the woman who was to be his wife, was pregnant with a child that was not his. Now, you've got to forgive Joseph from jumping to the obvious conclusions. You and I would have done exactly the same thing. He didn't have the benefit of Matthew's or Luke's insights on the Christmas story. When we come upon Joseph, he's already made a fateful decision. He's going to break it off with Mary, and to his credit, he doesn't want to subject her to public humiliation, which had been understood under the circumstances. Rather, he makes the decision to quietly terminate the engagement. It is to a shaken man that Joseph Angel comes in Matthew 1, 20 to 22. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. Do you follow what's happening here? God posted through Isaiah a notice about a Messiah who would come, and Mary and Joseph are the human parents through whom God would keep his promises. Their coming son would be both the son of Mary and at the same time, in a unique way, the son of God. This is what the incarnation is all about. God coming to be with us by becoming one of us. I mean, it's totally mind-blowing to wrap your head around. Okay, if God had a Facebook page, these two amazing posts would be there. They would answer the questions, who is this expected child? And whose child is this? But God is still not done in getting the world ready for his son. So let's look at two more Advent notification that God posts that come to us through the prophet Isaiah. The third Advent post is in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And it answers the question, well, who will this child be? So Isaiah continues his ministry in Israel, giving hope to a world-weary Judah in the midst of its trials and affliction by sharing one more post from God about who his son would be. And here's how it goes. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What God posts here is nothing less than mic dropping. Nobody captures the magnitude and majesty of this portrait of the coming Christ better than Frederick Handel in his classic masterpiece, The Messiah, as he puts the words of this prophecy to music. This post is God's big reveal. The babe of Bethlehem is not just another child, it is this child. He is God's answer to a troubled world. He is the ruler who will bring God's purposes to pass. He is the prince who will 
bring peace to human hearts and to the world. He will establish justice at long last. Jesus is the Messiah that the God promised would come. Don't be fooled by the simplicity of a baby in a manger. What transpires here is epic. Now, let me just stop here for a second. When a social media post goes viral, it means that hundreds of thousands of people watch it over a very short period of time. And we consider that noteworthy. People applaud the viral post. But think about this. This post of Isaiah's uh, rings down to our very day and age. This post has got legs 2,800 years later. Today, 2021, millions of people are hearing this post from God through the prophet Isaiah. Every time the Messiah is performed, this post resonates throughout history. Well, flash forward. It was just another night at work for the shepherds who were watching their flocks on the hills surrounding Bethlehem. They were not looking for anything unusual or earth-shattering that night, just the dull routine of watching the flocks. And the shepherd's angels took them by surprise in the middle of the day-to-day -day business of life. His message broke upon a world lacking joy that had no glad tidings for generations, that was bowed under the tyranny of political oppression. And an angel comes to this group of ordinary men in difficult times with the good news for all of humanity. And Luke's Christmas account the angel says to the shepherds in Luke chapter two, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Because today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and he is the Messiah the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So Mary and Joseph and the shepherds received God's advent posts about the coming birth of his son. But God is still not done. So let's consider one more advent post from the prophet Isaiah. And it answers the question, what difference is this child going to make? Well, Isaiah, inspired by God himself, foretells of a blessed time yet to come. This is the last of God's posts that we'll visit today. He writes, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their eyes. Burst into sounds of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Well, jump forward one more time and we meet Simeon, an old man who had spent a lifetime as a priest in the service of the temple in Jerusalem. All his life, he had prayed this bold and audacious prayer. Simon prayed to God that he would not die until he had personally seen the Messiah. And as Mary and Joseph present the infant Jesus to be blessed, Simeon takes the Messiah into his arms and expresses his gratitude by God by recalling Israel's ancient promise as he takes the infant Jesus up. And we read about it in Luke chapter two. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light of revelations for the Gentile and the glory of your people Israel. I'm always moved by this expression of Simeon's faith in God who keeps his promises. At this season of my life, I most identify with Simon who experiences God's unwavering faithfulness in the final season of his life and ministry. And I am moved and encouraged by the way God gave him his heart's desire. What about you? Whose story today most resonates with you? Mary's, Joseph's, the shepherd, Simeon's? God did not want the birth of his son to go unnoticed. Mary read God's post and found her calling in life. Joseph read God's post and found the courage to trust God in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. The shepherds responded to God's post and they found a savior for their souls. Simon remembers God's post and discovered that God hears and answers prayer. These people didn't miss God's message and they found life and purpose in their hearts, what they had long longed for. These people found Christmas. If God had a Facebook page, I think you would find these four posts there, the ones we've talked about this morning, but you would also find hundreds more. And his posts would answer questions like, who should we expect, a Messiah? Who is this child, the Son of God and the Son of Man? Who will this child be, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And what difference will this child make? He will seek and save sinners. His posts would give us a reason to believe in and to trust this promise-keeping God. So why did God to go so much time and effort to notify the world of his son's arrival? Why did he put his words in the mouths of his prophets? I think God took pains to post the news of his son's birth because he passionately wanted us to experience new birth. We've already learned that Mary will give birth to a son and we will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to this savior Jesus in just a few moments. The Christmas story has always been a source of hope and joy. And I believe it speaks to our present reality profoundly in a unique and a supernatural way. We can take comfort through the prophetic aspect of the Christmas story that as we know, began long, long before the manger. The Christmas story reminds us that some things do not change and some things will come to pass no matter what and that even the most challenging and tragic circumstances cannot determine our destiny, only our sovereign God does. I love what Nora Bernal writes in her Advent Guide. The Christmas story is a beautiful reminder of the faithfulness and of the unshakable power of the Word of God on which we can put our trust every day, every month, every year, every century, regardless of our circumstances in this world where we now live. There is nothing even close to this in the world to offer. Biblical hope is unrivaled, it's unmatched because it is rooted in history, in our reality, in our humanity. The fulfillment of God's prophecies is real as the words when they were spoken first. Prophecies are a way for God to tell us that we can trust him, that he has everything under control, and that even though everything around us says the opposite. While Bernal's observation inspires today's big idea, and it is this, the God who has kept all his promises in the past 
can be trusted to keep his promises in the present and in the future. When I think of Christmas, I think of the first advent. I think of the relentless love of God, the creator of the universe, who refused to leave us without God and without hope in the world. I think of the God who entered our experience to rescue us and to heal our brokenness. I think of the God who saves us to the uttermost through Jesus Christ, his son. I think of a God who never leaves us nor forsakes us, however troubled things around us become. When I think of Christmas, I think of arrivals. I look back to God's coming to be with us at Jesus' birth, to put salvation and freedom and hope within our reach. And this is all amazing in and of itself. In this world, our world, not all of God's plans and purposes in Christ have come to pass, not yet. But Christ's arrival the first time gives me confidence that he will come again to complete the work that God has called him to do and that all of God's promises will come to pass. At Christmas, when I reflect back on the nativity, Jesus' first coming, I move to wonder and amazement that this babe born so long ago is God with us right now in every moment, in every situation of life, in my life and in your life. And when I look ahead to Jesus' second advent, when he comes again to earth, not as a baby, but as King of kings and Lord of lords, it prompts me to ask this question. God is with us, but am I with God? What about you? Are you with God? That is where your heart is this Christmas. Let me share one last Advent post for you this Christmas. It comes to us from the pen of John, the disciple Jesus loved. And looking back on Jesus' arrival, he posts this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, this can be your reality this Christmas. You can invite the Christ of Christmas into your heart and life right now. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me to invite him into your heart and life. Our God and Father, I just thank you for all of those who have taken time to listen to this message this morning. And I know that you are speaking to hearts and lives all over the lower mainland and beyond. Heavenly Father, for that soul right now who has never ever made a decision to follow you, has never ever made the Christ of Bethlehem the Lord of their life, I just pray that you would touch their hearts and lives right now. I pray that as they confess their sin and as they reach out for you, that you would draw near to them, that you would forgive their sin. And Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and that you would open up a brand new chapter of their lives, a life of faith, trusting in this God who always keeps his promises. Lord, I just pray that you would meet them this morning right where they are. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision today to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the Christ of Christmas, then there is a um, text number on the screen. And I'd invite you to text that number and let us know that you've made this decision. And there'll be somebody that will get back to you as soon as possible. It is a tremendous season to be able to celebrate Christ's arrival. I hope he makes a meaningful difference in your life, whether you know him or not. I just pray that Christ of Christmas will come into your heart and life. God bless you, everyone.